0: Hello, welcome to the Mag Life. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I'm here with our co-host Varg Freeborn. It's been a while, Varg, for you to, since you've been on the show. Welcome back. Good to see you. It's good to be back. Thanks. So Varg has been away from podcast for a little bit. One because I was doing those really boring product stuff and replaced a shot show early in the year. Since those are all done, you know, Varg's ready to come back and get busy. But not only because he wanted to stay away from those, he wanted uh, to spend some time to basically. Draw upon his life of experience and an understanding of, of a lot of different things out there in the ways of of violence and humans and, and the types of humans that commit violence and, and why to, uh, to write a book about so that you can also understand some of the things that that he has learned uh, and understands from from his years of experience living uh, among that and this book is you some of you out there have probably read Violence of Mind and Violence of Mind is. Uh, was a very solid book, and I, and I love *Violence of Mind*. Like tons of like you cannot read this thing without pulling out tons of good information. If you haven't read *Violence of Mind*, you need to go back and read that. Uh, this is not a sequel to *Violence of Mind* or a prequel or anything like that. This is something totally different, but it is um, incredibly important. And and Varg's topic he chose for this book was was not just the Oodaloop concept, the idea that you know was was created by Lieutenant Colonel John Boyd years ago, but only one part of that acronym, one of those O's, the orientation part. And this is something that, that a lot of trainers out there get wrong. A lot of podcasters talking about it get wrong. A lot of people that I see in videos out there, uh, they get it wrong. And I'm not saying they get it wrong because I explain it differently. I'm saying they get it wrong because it's not the way Boyd wrote it. It's not the way it was designed. It's not the way it was supposed to be understood. Uh, so Varg pretty much freaking wrote the book on how to, to understand it the right way. And that's what he did. And he wrote Beyond UDA. And we're going to talk about that here today on the MagLife podcast. So Varg, of all the tops you could have picked, of anything out there, all the information that's in your head, all the experience you have in in your head and in your life, you decided to not attack the observation part or the decision-making part or the action part, but you decided to go after the orientation part of that UDA concept. Why is that? Why is the orientation so important? The orientation is
1: the foundation for all of the other parts so everything grows out of the orientation the observation feeds the orientation but the orientation colors what the observer is seeing and that then influences the decision part right so in order to understand it not only the way boyd is credited for Uda, obviously he created that and he's credited for the orientation concept as it's used here but i think what boyd is doing is not creating something in that work that he did i think what he was accomplishing was uncovering what is already there what what is common sense to look at yeah. when you look at it from a certain angle like your cultural belief systems your traditions your the paradigm that you see the world through is made up of you know your your limitations internal and external your you know, your value systems, your experiences, your confidence, how you see the world, how you see yourself in the world. Those are the things that make up the foundation of everything that you use to make decisions, whether it's in a fight, in a business negotiation, driving down the road, like everything in your experience and your background are what drives your decision-making criteria. So if we look at it like, observe orient decide act yeah of course that you know you can get caught up in that if you want to or not but even if you don't use the uda concept orientation is the building blocks of mindset yes. so anything that you're going to do decision making wise or how you see yourself and how you see yourself in relation to the world around you is your orientation and that is what makes up your your decision making processes so When we're talking about the very foundation, the basics, the basic building blocks, and everything that we talk about, whether you're in the shooting world, they say fundamentals, fundamentals, basics, and you're in the, you know, like me in the strength training world also, it's fundamentals and basics, which nobody adheres to today, and this is the mindset fundamentals and basics, this is the, the software part that we often talk about, that getting down into the weeds and really discovering what goes into decision making. And it's not just training yourself and, you know, and inoculating yourself to stress and all of these answers that the industry likes to come up with when really the answers are, they're there and they've always been there and they're in every field and every vertical, whether it's, you know, psychology and relationships in, or, you know, business or whatever it is. It's the same exact thing. Your decisions that you're going to make are going to be based on you observe something happening, you observe the world around you, and then you relate how you see yourself and the world around you in relation to each other and how this, this action or this event is going to affect you or how you see yourself. And then based on your experiences, your value systems, your cultural traditions, all of these things, you're going to make decisions based on those things to create a response to what you're seeing happening, to create an action, and that's going to be true whether it's a fight, whether it's you know a, a romantic interaction with someone, uh, whether it's a business negotiation, or whether you're driving down the road and something falls off of a truck in front of you, right? So, that's the that's the the basic idea. Of orientation is that it is the building blocks of who we are, how we see ourselves, and how we see ourselves in the world around us in relation to each other, how we fit into the world around us and the story we're telling ourselves. All of that plays into it. Even your genetics comes down to having a part
0: the peer in, pressure or what's expected of you, you know, like exactly, for you to act yeah, with, that's from, by your tribe and all that. Yep. Yeah. That's, so that's let's cultural. put this in perspective. And I think I got a pretty good example here. You can correct me and tell me to shut up if it's not a good one. Uh, about the time you were heading off to prison, I was heading off to Paris Island to stand on the yellow footprints and, and become a Marine. There were things that were happening in your life that were totally adjusting and affecting your orientation and, and changing your orientation and molding it to what it needed to be to survive in that environment and, and understanding all that. While I was being told that if I got a DUI or didn't run into the machine gun bunker that was firing at us that I was every, I was letting down every Marine before us, you know, so that we were doing a lot of things to develop, you know, these young Marines and, and my own orientation to be at a certain orientation, to be able to go put away some kindness and put away some compassion and, and turn on violence and maybe get some of these things out of us, or at least have the ability to control them. And while you're doing going through a similar Indoctrination, if you will, but you 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 had you already had a a, an orientation from when you were a child when you were born. I had my orientation development. It's just like further on development, like a higher learning of orientation. We went to a, a tougher school later on in life, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that, you know, that's so. Let's take for example, you're talking about as a marine in training, they're indoctrinating you with this very powerful cultural idea. Yes. that if you are not doing your job, you're letting down all of these other people that you also should admire and feel responsible for. Yep. So that's a very deep cultural concept that's being, that's being driven into you based on a value system that you should have, right? So you have uh, compassion and you have honor and you have loyalty and you have like- And
0: that's uh, really what right, we're talking right, right. about right here, the value
1: system. Yes. But it's culturally, it's like the value systems of each culture are different. And and I get into that in a book and the importance of opening up your mind so that you can understand if you have to deal with someone who is a different culture, a different value system, you have to understand that those things not only are they different and they come to different conclusions, but there's also the aspect that the formula for you and them is the same. So thinking that it's going to be you know, different all the way around is a mistake in, in judging, you know, especially the actions of your enemy or predicting the actions of your enemy. Because if you don't understand that you operate off the same formulas, even though there's different cultural inputs, you won't understand that, that outcome enough to be able to predict
0: those actions. Uh, there's a common phrase that people use out in the firearms training world about uh, these bad guys don't think like you. They don't think like you and I. They don't make decisions the same way as you and I. That's not true. That that's not true at all. That's that's spoken from someone who who doesn't have an understanding of orientation, maybe doesn't have an understanding of decision making and doesn't understanding how this value system that that drives that orientation drives that decision making and if we can understand that they're working on the same parameters or at least the same techniques and methods even though they have different values we can begin to predict their actions and be safer and make better decisions for ourselves and our families and maybe get ahead of something before it happens or remove ourselves from a situation before it happens. So this is we're talking about a better understanding, not that I just don't understand these people so they don't think the way I do. That's what I'm going to chalk it up as because I don't want to put the time and effort into really understanding them. Well, fortunately, Varg has done that in this book and uh, explains it in great detail from cover to cover. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I'm able to do that because I walk both sides of the fence in this instance. So I have been on the other side of the fence when I hear these people talking about the people on the other proverbial side of the fence, right? Um, And having been over there, I'm saying, yeah, that's not really true. And if we look at the martial strategist writings for the last several thousands of years, one of the most famous things has always been, Uh, To know your enemy is to know yourself or to know yourself is to know your enemy. And why we've lost touch with that, I don't know. Because if you – all of the things equal, and we're talking about anyone who's cognitively capable, not entirely mentally ill because that's a whole other topic, right? But anyone who is like uh, cognitively capable of observing and making decisions and and choosing their actions – they they all operate off of the same formula, like we all operate off of the same formula. We all have the same weaknesses and the same you know things that could be exploited. And when you understand that about yourself, when you understand that uncertainty, for example, is one of the one of the biggest um, enemies of your of your own self going into a situation. If you're going into a fight, the more uncertain you are about your own actions and the own you the outcomes of your actions that you're trying to predict, the less effective you're going to be, the less committed you're going to be, right? And the less uh, your information you're going to end up having to make better decisions during that process. So you understand that about yourself. Now you understand that about your enemy. You can say, if I can disrupt his confidence level, if I can disrupt his plan enough that he doesn't feel like he can confidently predict the outcome of his plans anymore, then I have effectively began to turn that fight in his mind. And that's when we begin to gain ground and work our way towards having the higher ground, even if we were ambushed or caught off guard to begin with and were behind the curve. can switch that, switch that fight around. This was the same concept that Boyd was talking about, and it's the same concept that Miyamoto Musashi was talking about, and Sun Tzu was talking about, about deception and perception management and understanding that it's the enemy's perception of the situation that is driving his decision-making. Those decisions are colored through his cultural inputs, his confidence, his belief systems, value systems, all those things. So the more you understand those things, the more you can understand how certain actions or disruptions will cause him to think differently about his plans. And so these are these are the things that we can look at in a very at a very deep level to understand if we're caught in uh criminal violence ambush in a parking lot or something. And I give plenty of examples in the book of things where, like, you know, the guy walking up with his family to the door in one of the recent videos that's been out gives no indication that he sees a guy. But as he's coming to the door, you can see the ring doorbell recording everything. He's pushing his family into the house. He's surreptitiously drawing his gun. You've seen no indication why he should surreptitiously draw on his gun. He didn't look one direction. He didn't startle. He didn't pull, jump his shoulders up like he didn't twitch. He didn't do anything different. He continued walking in the same exact fashion at the same pace with the same look on his face, but he was surreptitiously drawing his gun. Once his family was in the house, he spun around. Bad guy appeared from the bushes, and he engaged in a gunfight and won the gunfight because he was ahead of the curve. But he didn't give away anything, right? So he understood that the bad guy obviously thought he had the upper hand. His plan was in place. He was going to ambush this man and his family before they got inside all the way, and he was probably going to gain entry to the house. That's probably most likely the plan he wanted to, to follow through with rather than alerting him early, which would have engaged or pushed push the fight faster and would have exposed the family to gunfights because mm-hmm. he'd still be outside, he chose to conceal the fact that he detected the guy in the bushes, surreptitiously draw the gun without letting the guy in the bushes see him, prepare for the fight while getting his family. So he prolonged, the, there was a space of time there where he managed the perception of the enemy because he understood the enemy's observations and he understood his plans and he understood what was going to disrupt his plan. So he, he was able to put all of that together and you know what, that guy, I guarantee had zero to little training because it doesn't take training to accomplish this. You can, I believe, accomplish it through training to a certain extent, but that was more street smarts. Yeah. What we would call street smarts. That was culturally a part of that guy's, upbringing, like to be aware like that and to be able to be sneaky and use concealment, use deception, use perception, not management, panic, not panic all of that stuff. Right. So that's something that I don't think you can really teach as much as that's developed over time. Right. But that's just one example of, you know, when we're talking about orientation and we're talking about, uh, they're not like us and, you know, decision-making, like all this stuff that people are talking about out there. These are the kind of things that really... Uh, bring that into a light and and make it more understandable. I, I think.
0: Yeah, you know, we we talked a few episodes ago, kind of at length about true concealment, not just concealing your gun when people say concealment, but concealing your tensions, your intentions, concealing your knowledge, concealing the fact that you're gathering information or the information that you've gathered, uh, concealing that you know someone else's intentions, you know, and and whatever your plan is, and uh, you know, concealing all that. You can't adequately achieve that true concealment unless you have a firm understanding, whether intuitively or through time with street smarts, until you understand this orientation piece and how this value system drives decision-making. And that way, like we said before, so we can anticipate something that's going to happen or not only anticipate something that's going to happen, but be able to anticipate secondary and tertiary effects. So if I do X, I can disrupt what he's doing by this, but they will likely do X and Y, and then I will do. It. It's a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but basically we're using decision-making process, value system, and, and orientation to um, to make take these tactical shortcuts in decision making.
1: Exactly, and if we're talking about tactical thinking and perception management, and concealment and deception. You know, these things don't stop when the fight starts or or anything like that. Uh, Like, let's say you brought up jujitsu. So in jujitsu, one of the first things that you'll learn over the first six months or so is that when you're going against an experienced person, if you shift your weight to try to set up for a position, he senses that. And he Mm -hmm. probably knows the position that you're trying to set up for. Right. So if you're on the bottom, you shift your hips to the left, you know. You're either gonna try to, you know, snake an arm bar from the bottom or you're gonna try to, you know, snake an escape and push out to like, you know, um some kind of single hip or something. So what happens is they know that and they can see your plans because they understand the system, right? So they can understand that there's there's a couple of possible options for what they're setting up for. So they can then make the choice at that point to either Go ahead and counter that now, which a newer person will do. They'll counter it immediately, mm-hmm. whereas an experienced person may not counter it immediately. They're going to let you move, and let you move, and let you think that they don't know where you're going. Then they're going to be there to meet you when you go for it. And you're and every time you're like, son, of a bitch, how how did he know? Like I, you know, and it's just because they understand where you're going with it, but they used concealment and they managed your perception so that you thought your plan was working. And then they disrupted your plan at the most opportune time for them, and it was the most effective time that completely disrupted your plan, killed your confidence, and now you didn't know what to do. And then you got hemmed up. And it, and it works the same way in any kind of fight. It works the same way in you know interpersonal communications on any level, right? It, it's the same thing. The quicker you show your hand, the less you have to work with in terms of managing their perception and using any type of um, concealment, holding, holding any type of uh, cards back, as they say, for the final round, right? So when you approach a situation, if you're the type of person that doesn't have self-control or you're, you're not acclimated to working at that level of stress... You, the likelihood of you being able to manage someone's perception is very much lower because you aren't in control of yourself, so you can't control what you're projecting out into the atmosphere. Whereas if I can maintain the problems I have long enough to surreptitiously get the the weapon out, then I can have an advantage because there would be another weapon in play that they're not aware of yet. And that can create a major flip of the balance.
0: Man, so there's a lot going on right there, dude. Like we... Yeah. We tied in the, you know, we, we talk about self-control a lot and, you know, now we're talking about value systems and orientation, decision-making at its core, you know, exactly. Not, not the, the, the immediate factors and external factors um, that are driving the decision-making and the bad guy has a say in the fight and like all this good stuff. But like, The way you were raised, as I say, the way he was raised, as I say, who he was raised around, like all these different things. So uh, we're talking about just gaining a better understanding of humans and and human violence. That this book, I, I haven't read anything ever in in psychology, in um, in in law enforcement, in military, in um, in firearms and defense training. That, that ties as many things that as we know to be true in together and and makes sense of it and organizes it in a package and packages in a way to where we're almost creating a system to to understand others and and understand ourselves and exploit the opportunities that that understanding creates if that makes any sense um, and this book is filled with that and uh, that like this this is it's been I like this better than violence of Mind, as far as the information that i got that i felt like was actionable in my in my life uh and i thought there was just tons in violence of mine uh but this one is just it it's so it's not a new, a new perspective but it's just got so much information in there that reinforces everything else we're, we're almost always talking about here on this podcast that, that are in that is really involved with living through a, you know a, a deadly incident Exactly, And it's got some great stories and it's got Varg's language and it's got everything else. And uh, so it's obviously entertaining. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, if, if you, if you seriously, you know, people who have been listening to this podcast for a long time that, that know me and, and have been, you know, I guess following me or, or whatever on social media or whatever that means these days, you are, and I'm not just trying to sell a Varg's book here. Like th- this, this book needs to be read by everybody in the firearms industry that is involved with defense. Now, if you're just hunting animals, that's what you do, or just play games, what you do, then it probably doesn't matter. But if you are an owner of firearms for the purpose of self-defense or the potential of needing to go offense in the most extreme of circumstances that could occur in the future, for all the good reasons, obviously, the uh, and you don't read this book, you you're you're making a mistake. I mean, there's there's so many things that we could do on the range and work on getting faster draws. But you're still missing when to initiate that faster draw. You know where to do it. Like the, the the concealment involved. There's so it's hard to even explain. There's just so much detail in here in this book from experience. And and Varg does one of the things that that we do on this podcast. I usually talk and give my pers- my perspective or whatever. Or Varg will go first and he'll give his perspective on something. And and you know we'll kind of mix them together and discuss them. That kind of happens. One thing that that I found that was really interesting in this book was. This isn't Varg telling stories that's all anecdotal evidence from when he was in prison or growing up or after prison or anything else or force on force training that he observed and thinks this is what happened. Varg makes a statement in this book about X, whatever it is. He'll make a statement and you'll be like, oh, wow, that's a fairly profound statement. Does this a lot? Um, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure if it is true or not. Let me see. Well, the next thing he's going to hit you with is some scholarly article, some scholarly research, somebody else who has been widely accepted by and peer-reviewed that this is a professional understanding of this topic from, from the, 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 the PhDs out there, the really, really smart people out there, and they're giving their take, and it is supporting that which Varg experienced in his life and has put into this book um, and then Varg gives a story about how that worked out and played true to what Varg is saying and that super wicked smart guy out there uh, said. And that's, what, that's, that's basically how he attacks almost every, every topic in this thing. So it comes out as a very raw kind of in-your-face, here's the information, but it's backed up by scholarly information and research and, and real data uh, at the same time. So it's not just uh, it's not a it's not a, a story of Varg's life, so he can sound awesome. There there's none of that in here whatsoever, because I would not tell you it's one of the greatest books that I've read in the defense world. If that were the case,
1: yeah, I I definitely shy away from that kind of. As a matter of fact, I put more stories in this book than I intended to, just because I was you know implored by so many people close to me, you being one of them. That you know the stories add so much color to it, and so because one of the things. And if you look at any of my social media or anything, you can tell that I'm not I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm really not trying to sell something. Um, and uh, I'm not on social media trying to sell you anything. I, I have some perspectives that I want to share, and I have some things that I have studied for a long time, and there are things that I also experienced very deeply. And violence and conflict are two of those things. That I do have a lot of experience with and I've studied very closely both uh, For many years and so I just want to share a perspective and I'm not trying to You know paint myself out as a certain type of person or anything <clears throat> I'm just trying to share some information and also um, there's, there's a very important point in there about You know the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and that's in the book uh-huh. Um, it's in the book because it's something you need to understand about the person you're dealing with, especially if you get into a verbal confrontation or possible bad situation that's only reached a verbal level first. At that point, and I give a good example of one or two good examples of people that I dealt with, you know, out like this where that could have ended in a robbery or a shooting that that may have even intended it in that way. That I was able to sway because I understood the story the person that was in front of me was telling themselves about who they are and once you once you start to understand that and start to try to really understand people at the level of not only understanding them for what you see them as but understanding them for what they see themselves as that's more important than what you see them as and when you start to realize that that's when you start to really gain an edge in terms of being able to communicate and negotiate with people and, and affect people's behavior, which is what we're really trying to do at any level. So when we understand these stories, the hard part about understanding the stories, though, the mythos, right, is that we're often not willing to really take a an honest look at the story we're telling ourselves about who we are or who Mm -hmm. we're trying to project ourselves out to be, especially today in social media world. Because your life can be, in today's world, your life can be 80 or 90% theatric now. And you can curate your entire image that goes out into the world. And only a few people in your close life might know the truth to be different
0: it's socially accepted to be fake
1: nowadays it is it is because it i don't even know if people can detect what's real and what's not now like because you see someone on social media and everything they show is curated to create a certain image of this person that they want to be seen as right Mm -hmm. and it's even more important than the person they want to be is the person they want to be seen as and so understanding that about everybody, even yourself and being honest with yourself and having a really honest conversation with yourself about what, what am I projecting to the world to a really astute, observant person? What would they see about me that would allow them to exploit my desires or my ego bi- biases, right? Because you're going to have them and they're going to be built into your story. So if you think for example you're like the badass guy right and you got the big huge diesel truck and all the tattoos and you know and the the rifles and the you know and the gym and the deadlifts and you got the whole package right you just described yourself except for the truck and probably most of the other stuff (laughs) but but yeah the uh the, the thing is is what are you what are you projecting out into the world and then what in your experience level has driven that right so um, there's a lot of people that have zero experiences with anything that will wear all the the costume and the, the costume jewelry of that particular image, right? And then there's people who have, you know, may have done all of that and, you know, maybe they were a special operations soldier for 20 years and then they, you know, came over, um, you know, to the civilian side and now they're doing, you know, contracting work or consulting work or, you know, and they've, you know, maintained their fitness level and they've been in a lot of fights and they've shot some people in the face and, you know, and that there's an experience level that goes behind that, that lowers the level of theatrics, you know, but there's still a level of theatrics for selling purposes or for, you know, negotiating purposes. You have to appear a certain way, you know, so everything that we do with our appearance, and the story we're telling ourselves or the story that we're trying to convince other people of about ourselves is really the that's when you i'll put it this way when you can clearly determine the story that someone is telling themselves about themselves and about who they want you to think they are you you literally gain the keys to their emotions Mm -hmm. and their actions like you get the keys all those locks and that is you know that's an undeniable truth that in in most cases you're really going to gain a huge advantage um, in in any situation be it conflict or negotiation that uh, or cooperation that you know when you understand who they think who they want you to think they are you can begin to definitely have a better more effective approach on that person's behavior and predicting their behaviors. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Mark, I, you know, you, I've read this book quite a few times now and you've read it uh, many, even more times because you wrote the thing. I'm really curious. I know when I write things, there's things that that end up on the paper and sometimes they feel like they never even really went through my mind. Some of the, the big writers out there talk about the muse being upon them or the, uh, uh, the spirit's talking to them or something like that. I'm wondering what is there is there a a a part, a section of of your book that you found to be it doesn't have to be like it just it just you weren't planning it and it happened, but is there a, is there a section that that you feel is the most important or most needed because it's the most missing from people out there with with the uh, the mindset of the folks who would be listening to this podcast. You know, something that's going to make the biggest impact on their life that You know, like, man, I got to include this in here and I'm going to expand upon it and I'm going to make sure that that I hit all this really well because this is what they really need to hear.
1: That's a tough one because the book has three sections. It's got origins, operating inward, and operating outward. I'm inclined to say operating inward is probably the thing I think people need the most um, because I don't think people are honest in, in operating inward. Um, But on the other hand, I think a lot of people dishonestly operate inward too much and they're not operating outward. In other words, it's like, like, let's look at it basic, basic level. If you're in a fight and you're focused inside and you're focused on your desires and your fears and you're afraid of losing your life and you're afraid of not seeing your family and you're afraid what's going to happen if I don't make it home, who's, who's fighting the fight? It's not you because you're thinking about all this other stuff right um, so if you're focused inward and you have an opponent that's actively on you and you're not focused outward on them then that's a, that's a problem right mm-hmm. um, so the same thing on a on a macro level if you're always focused inward and you're not focused on your craft outward, then you're you're not really effectively um, managing most situations as best as you could because you're you're putting your efforts and your energies inside instead of out into the world around you to affect change in the world around you which is what we're trying to do in most of our days right we're trying to affect our environment uh whether it's going to work and getting the job done or it's getting or whether it's fit
0: into your environment
1: yeah whatever like we're we're trying to affect our environment like you know outside of us and if you're focused inside all the time you can't do both both of those jobs right so i i think the honesty on focusing inward and operating inward is probably going to be the first step before you can honestly effectively operate outward you have to be honest with yourself on an inward level and 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 master that those crafts of of inward operations before you can effectively operate out outside, so I think that if you understand the section uh, operating inward, it's going to give you the foundation, right? And the origins part just gives you the foundation of that. So the book is like is a it's not a crawl walk run, but it's definitely foundation blocks, secondary blocks, scaffolding,
0: exactly, right? Who would you write this for? Like what what audience? Who do you think needs it? I wrote this book less for the firearms
1: community than I did violence of mind. Like Violence of Mind was much more targeted directly at the firearms community. This book is not. This book is um I, I wanted this book to hopefully find its way into some classrooms. I wanted this book to be useful to people in criminal psychology, in law enforcement, uh military average everyday people who would just want to understand criminal mindset better and how criminals operate and how to keep themselves out of bad situations and some people are going to read this book and be like scared of people because they're like wow there's so much manipulation and deception in this book that you know like i never thought people would be so deceptive and you know and that's those are the people i wrote the book for that you know that aren't aware of even their own levels of manipulation and deception Right. And they need to understand that first and then not be so scared when they see that the whole world operates that way. We all operate on this level. Manipulation and deception are not always inherently bad. You know, when you go to buy a car and you want this car really bad, you know, do you jump all over the place and say you're, you know, this guy wants, you know, top dollar for the car and you jump up and down like, I got to have this car. This is it. You know, you let him know right off the bat that there's, there's no negotiation. Like, you want this car so bad that that guy's going to hold out and get his highest price, right? But if you don't and he's like, eh, you know, the tires look worn. I got it. like, if I buy this and you make the guy think, hey, you know, maybe this guy doesn't really want it. And if I really want the cash, you know, I'm willing to take a couple hundred less. I can off this car right now, you know, but you're, you're, you're manipulating the situation. You're managing his impression of you. And you're also um, using deception to a certain extent. You want the car really bad, but you're not letting him know that. You're making him think that you don't want it as bad. You can walk away from the deal. And that's the art of negotiation, right? And it's not inherently bad. You're not doing something evil by deceiving him that way. It's just negotiation, right? That's what we do.
0: So this wasn't on purpose at all, but um, I I had just – when you sent me the first draft to take a look at and everything – I had just finished Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who was an um, FBI hostage negotiator that kind of rewrote the book on hostage negotiation and fixing many years of a very poor hostage negotiation with the FBI. I, I won't say exactly why and how, but in-, in a very big way, this book, Never Split the Difference, changed my life uh, in, a- in a very good way because it-, it-, it gave me an understanding of how to negotiate. And it it did a a really good job of that. And it spelled out so, because I've never been one that that enjoyed negotiating. Like, hey, look, I don't want to deal with you if I'm selling something on Facebook Marketplace or whatever it is, or a friend at work. Here's a really freaking good price that I know it's hard to say no to because I don't want to negotiate and I don't want to take 10 more pictures and I don't want to take it to you. I don't want you to come look at it and waste time of mine. Like, here's a good price if you want to come get it. And that's kind of the way I've always been. And I've never enjoyed negotiating for cars or raises or anything else. But I find myself now, like it's fun. Like I, I want to go buy something and negotiate a price again because I have the tools to understand that person. And you talked earlier about um, managing the other person's perceptions and, and taking actions that change their behaviors and, and change their perceptions of you and make them see what they want to. Um, But and that's what Chris talks about in his book. I say Chris like we're buddies. Like I don't know the guy, um, but he uh, it, it was very profound. And, and what I found that was interesting was what what Chris's book did for me in understanding of negotiation. And they got he got really scientific, you know, with the amygdala and like the, the left brains and right brains and all this other stuff. Uh, backed up with a lot of really strong psychology stuff, current like relevant sciencey psychology, not that weird stuff. And then it all makes sense. And then I pick up your book and I start reading it. And it's almost like the, a very similar product as Chris's book, except different language, slightly different concepts, and applied to violence and not buying your next car or negotiating for a raise. But these are things when the stakes are at their highest is, is what you've you've put in this book of how to understand what's going on and how to control that environment yourself and externally and understanding those secondary and tertiary effects of the actions you take and what the actions they take. So there's there's a lot to unpack here in this book. I, I don't think it's a one-time read. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's at least a two or three time picking this book up and reading it to really get what's in it. So I, 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 I think it has a place in, in academia with some of the information that's in here, because there is scientific backing and there's uh experiential knowledge backing in there as well. I appreciate that, you know. And, and the thing about when I write a book, it's a,
1: and this is my second book now, and it, I will say this this is a successful launch of a second book, so this book is already sold, even though I've only sold. The first printing as I do as a tradition uh, uh, exclusively through my website before I shift off to Amazon and Audible and, and you know Kindle uh, it's already successfully sold so you know this having written this book and the first book violence of mind uh, this book beyond UDA is definitely written with I I don't want to say I don't care what people think because obviously I do. You write a book and you really want people to like it, um, but I don't like. I'm not really susceptible to criticisms, right? Like I, I don't like if there's criticisms of it. I'm like, I will listen, but it's not, it's not a huge deal for me. Like I don't worry about people because I feel like when I write the book. In that manner, and it, you know, whether it's going academic or you, you talk about, I back up these points a lot when I you write. You lose books. your authenticity when you do that. Yeah, exactly. Like I, like I, I wrote this book with, you know, to be authentic, and there's not, there's not a pretentious part of this. So, the criticism is like, uh, you know, I'm only pointing out what is there in life, right? So, if we don't see it the same way, okay. But you can't come and say that this stuff doesn't happen, right? You can't, like, this is the same things that have been talked about for thousands of years, you know? So, right. it's not, you know, like, I'm not talking about something new, right? So, it is what it is. And I hope that it, you know, that it stands on its own weight for that reason, if not anything else, because, you know, this is a new way to look at old ideas. And, I just don't think it's been put in the right context in some ways and there's a lot of things in the training industry that you know i've and people can see that i've largely detached myself from the training industry in in the last year or two because i just don't believe in a lot of what goes on with training um and i i don't just feel that way about training for violence and training for you know whatever, you know, violent conflict careers. I feel the same way about public education. I feel the same way about most systems of training humans now. Like, I just don't agree with how it's done. And I think that we're we're not looking at these concepts um, in a very human way anymore. And that's what I'm trying to do. So if you read someone like Chris Voss, he's going to be more scientific. He's going to be more, you know, and I... Actively avoid those things because I want to talk about this in a very human way in a very human experiential way and say This is experience. This is a way to see this experience and this is a way to manage this and get better at it, right? Uh, And this is coming from real world look not not something uh, Dreamed up in a basement somewhere, right? This is this is Retrospectively looking back at experiences and breaking those down and saying, okay, this is what I think happened here. And this backs up. And these other people seem to think this is also the same thing happening here, right? Uh, and if mm-hmm. we go back 2,000 years, this old Asian dude actually thought this was the same thing happening here, right? So it's a, very, it, it's a very unbroken lineage of philosophy that we're just taking a fresh look at it.
0: Mark, where can they uh, find your book? And I'll put all these in the show notes. It'll be on the blog post. You can click the link. You'll be able to see where everything is.
1: Right now, the book is only available in its first printing through my website, and that is a signed copy that I sign myself, and I package it myself, and I ship it to you myself. So, I like to be very personal with my first my first buyers, and I want the people who really want the book up front to be rewarded with having a personalized copy. I sign it. I send it to you myself. That's on beyonduda.com. So... All spelled out beyond com, and you can purchase that book there and That's gonna run for uh, just a little bit uh, Limited time for the first printing Once that sells out the book will be available on Amazon and paperback on Kindle in ebook and It will be on audible just like my first book narrated by me but that's probably you know 45 to 60 days out before that's gonna happen so if you want the book anytime soon, beyonduda.com dot com is where you can find it.
0: Guys out there, uh, listen, I I've never lied to you before. I'm not going to start right now. Uh, I will make this. If you if you get this book and you absolutely hate it and you think this was garbage, you send me an email to dshaw at gunmagwarehouse dot com and I will make this right for you. I guarantee you, I will not get any emails saying that that this book was not what we explained it, that it was. Uh, you will be very impressed. You'll have tons of actionable things to think about. Some things to think about when you're at the grocery store the next time. You know, not because he tells you to do this at the grocery store, but because you'll start, when we read some of these motivational books or, or a book about, you know, mindset or in this understanding, the orientation of people around us and ourselves, we start to look in the world at the world through... Um, that different lens that that this this new information has provided for us to put in front of our eyes as it as it goes to our brain and we're processing it, we're developing our own orientation more with these things. Um, so I, I I have zero doubt. You know, you said this is for the people who were, um, you know, didn't understand that people were this manipulative and everything else out there. Uh, I I think there's pieces in this book, and I'm sure we'll get into it some in some further podcast in the future, uh, now that you've got a little more time and you be back on here more regularly, there's some things in here that, that'll help you understand, you know, a loved one better, your spouse, you know, a, a friend, uh, just understanding how how these decisions are made and, and how the different backgrounds and orientations and value systems can change and, and how they affect each other and how they don't always mix with each other. So there's a, there's a lot of things in here that have to do, that could affect, positively affect some communication and some things in your life just by increasing your understanding of humans. Varga, any final thoughts before we kick out of here uh nope i uh I'm glad to be back. I hope
1: that we can you know get together for some more podcasts now i I was absent uh finishing this book up was uh was quite a job and um I got pretty wrapped up in that for the last few months and just was basically you know dropped out of society completely to to get this done so uh, now that it's done and it's out there, I'll start working on book three but uh, I'm glad to be back and you know Hopefully we can do more of this here coming up.
0: Well, welcome back. And everybody else that's tuned in here today listening, uh, thank you for tuning in and checking out this podcast. Uh, We'll see you on the next one. And until then, pick up Beyond Uda from com and let me know what you think. Uh, Guys, I'm Daniel. And for Varg Freeborn, we'll see you next time. The Mag Life out.